صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English-language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Palestine Remembered. Today, we're going to share a remarkable Palestinian story, a story of a Palestinian resilience, a story of Palestinian steadfastness, and a story of so many different Palestinians of dislocation, separation, and ultimately growth and reconnection with family. But first, we're going to speak to to Yusuf, Yusuf Shadid, who's the son of our star guest today. Good morning, Yusuf. How are you doing? Good morning, uh, Nasser. I'm doing well. Thanks for having us. Um, how are you doing? Yeah, really well, Habibi. Really well. And so grateful for you to be here. And I'm really grateful for your Facebook post. I'm going to put a link to it in the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. So when you go to the podcast at 3cr.org.au, Palestine Remembered, or anywhere else, you might see your podcasts. Be sure to go there and click on the Facebook link that will take you through to Yusuf's Facebook page, and you should follow him. He's a really great and inspiring young Palestinian man. But you'll get to see the chronology of his father. Yusuf, why don't you tell us what inspired you to put that post up? Sure. Um, thanks for the intro. Um, so I guess uh, a lot of times we are very much uh, in the journey, living day to day, not reflecting on on like the actual journey, whether it's like personal, um, financial, in terms of travel, career. Um in a way, we're living on autopilot and we don't really, I guess, appreciate um, the struggle, how far we've come. And uh, it was a lead up to my dad's birthday, um, dad's uh, 65th birthday, which is, you know, significant and everything he's done for the family. And um, I was trying to think of a format to, I guess, uh, express my gratitude and I, how much I am grateful for all the work he's done uh, for us, for the family, for the sacrifices are done for like in terms of uh, personal sacrifices, um, financial travel. And uh, there were so many to mention in a single post. And I said, I thought the best way to put it is probably just a chronicle order. Who is this man that we're talking about? And really, I guess, make it more um, relatable to the audience. Like this is just a person who at this age did this, at this age did that, at this age did that. Um, this is not the comfortable normal life, you know, and this is my dad's story and this is what it means to us. Um, and I guess that was the reason. And, uh, on the day, like on his birthday, I just put it up, you know, having, you know, absolutely no expectation. I'm just sharing my story, my dad's story. And, um, for some reason it, it, it is like, I've been writing online for the last four years. It's the most viral post on all like Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, I was very surprised with the engagement of very glad, very happy, but that, that was, I guess, the thought process behind putting that post. I just wanted to honor my dad in a way that, like, how grateful I am for the sacrifices done. And, um, yeah, put the post that morning. I had no idea it's going to get that engagement. And uh, we're speaking here. So, um, but, yeah, that was the idea. It's a brilliant post, and I'm going to read it 
in a moment and take us through it. But first, let's introduce your father. Good morning, Mahmoud. How are you doing? Good morning, Nasser. Yeah, we are quite well here after that long uh, introduction. Thanks for the introduction. Thanks for Yusuf, actually, who highlighted my life in that chronological order. Well, finally, we are living again as one family under one roof or in one place, traveling from one place to another, facing challenges one after the other. And luckily, we made it all the way here and start getting some sort of settlement with the family and with the friends here, where we have some peace of mind, although the, the real peace of mind would be when we get our rights and we get back to our homeland, where we have been raised, we have our, uh, I would say, history, our heritage, our everything there and since I've been there. Back to Palestine, inshallah, one day. Ma'amun, tell us your family's Nakba story, 1948. Where are you from? For me, I'm from a village in Turkaren, near Turkaren, named Ella. And it's about like eight to 10,000 inhabitants now. At that time, it was like three, 4,000. <clears throat> For me, I, I was born in 1958 as a small village in Palestine, in rural area, I would say, uh, our main concern after the Nakba of 1948, uh, where many of our uh, relatives and friends, Palestinians, fled, I would say, the Green Line, which is mm -hmm. before 1948, uh, to our areas in West Bank, where we have started dealing with our relatives, our friends, our Palestinian, Palestinian colleagues in the camps, we started actually feeling the suffer of what does it mean to get out by force from your land or some of your relatives are killed. So the, and of, as Palestinian uh, people, like any other nation, those who were in the West Bank, West Bank uh, welcomed their brothers, their families in the camps, starting exchanging with them the land, the work, the houses, although most of the business in Palestine in the rural area was in agriculture. So we have our small, I would say, olive oil, uh, olive uh, trees where we started uh, harvesting them with the, and sometimes sharing with them. Our refugees, uh, brothers start sharing their efforts and we're starting sort of recovery from the 1948. That's the, how the Palestinian community was working in that area. So Tulkaram, for our listeners, is in the West Bank, East Palestine, as we like to say, East Palestine. Tulkaram, so you've got a Hawiya, Ma'am? Yes. The Hawiya itself, when uh, the Israeli troops invaded uh, West Bank in 1967, Anyone who was living at that time was granted a Hawi or Lam Shemel, or just give it a name, which is an ID that he is living in that area. So, for instance, my elder brother was, was working in uh, Amman, in Jordan. So he, he doesn't have the right to visit, and he could not. So we start used to visit him. So anyone who was in 1967 was granted the Hawi, 
and can travel back and forth to Palestine. This is what we got in 1967. So this is just another way that Israel controls Palestine, imposes its apartheid laws to separate Palestinians. So Mamun's um, brother, who was not within the borders of historic Palestine when Israel captured the rest of Palestine after 1948 and 1967, is denied connection to Israel and doesn't have a Hawaii. So his children don't have Palestinian IDs. Mamun, uh, Yusuf and his brothers and sisters have Hawaiis? No, actually, uh, the my youngest I tried with Yusuf, with Mahmoud, with Ibrahim, and whenever I visit Palestine, I try to apply for them, and the application used to be rejected by various reasons. And luckily, the youngest uh, boy and girl, Amal and Yunus, uh, we just made it, and uh, they got Hawaii. But I could not get to my kids and even to my wife, because my wife, although she's a Palestinian, but her family was living in Kuwait at the time of 67, so they are they could not have any right to get whenever they visit. They Sometimes they can visit once, but they get rejected dozens of times for unknown reasons. Mm. So I'm, I tell people about my Palestine journey, and I tell people that I'm a triple-A Palestinian. So a triple-A Palestinian, as defined by Nasser, this is nobody else gets to define it, but I've defined it as a triple-A Palestinian, and it's a triple A Palestinian, not because I'm better than anybody else, but because I experience the very least challenge of being a Palestinian. Number one, I'm Western born, not born in Jordan or Kuwait. I'm a Western born Palestinian. So I have the benefit of an Australian citizenship that is my birthright. It can't be stripped of me. Number one. Number two, I'm an Australian, a Western Palestinian assimilated. I look like us, but I sound like them. Yeah, I look like us, but I sound like them. So I'm an Aussie Palestinian. And thirdly, aside from being Western born and Western assimilated and sounding like them, I'm fully emancipated in the sense of um, understanding my civil and political rights, etc. So the very ZZZ Palestinian, which is the hardest Palestinian life there is, is a Palestinian in Gaza. And in between the Palestinian in Gaza and a triple A Palestinian as I am and my children are, are the very myriad numbers within. But for my story, I was born in Dandenong Hospital, lived in Dandenong, went to um, high school in Beaumaris, and then to Melbourne High, and then to uni in the city. And my job was in Hawthorne, and now I live in Camberwell. In 53 years, my entire displacement is about 15 kilometres. From birth to education to jobs, to connections, to I can take my children and show them the school I went to. I can uh, show them where my first job was. I can show them where I met their mother. This is the journey of most people, certainly in the West, and certainly those that are assimilated. This is not the experience of a Palestinian. And if you'll bear with me, I want to read to you Yusuf's post. Uh, about his father celebrating his 65th birthday. So at age 64, Mahmoud started his PhD and he grew up without much in Palestine, no connections, no technology, not even electricity in his village. But one trait set him apart, a fighting spirit like no other. At nine, Baba lived the Nuxa of 1967. At 15, he walked an hour daily to school. At 18, he got a scholarship to study in Kuwait. At 21, he graduated a computer scientist. At 22, 
he lost his father. At 23, he worked overtime in his second job to support his siblings. He's one of nine children. At 27, he married his mum. He married Yusuf's mum. At 32, Baba fled the Gulf War to Jordan. At 33, he named his third son after his grandfather, Yusuf. At 34, he migrated to Australia alone. At 35, Baba reunited with his family. At 37, he travelled to work in Saudi Arabia alone. At 39, he reunited with his family. From 40 to 42, Baba had two more kids, a total of five children. At 45, he brought his mum to our family house. At 47, he was made redundant. At 48, he travelled to work in Qatar alone. At 49, he's reunited with his family. At 50, Baba relocated to work in Amman. From 50 to 54, he's now financially supporting three kids in Australia, plus two at home. At 55, he relocated to work in Kuwait. At 57, he lost his mother. At 60, Baba finally reunited with his family in Australia. At 63, he lost his closest sibling to cancer. At 64, he started his PhD. Seven jobs, six countries, five kids, four family separations, three degrees, two languages, and one unique fighting spirit. My role model turned 65 today. A really, really beautiful post, Yusuf. And forgive me for reading it. I don't imagine that I can barely hold back my tears reading it. I couldn't imagine that you could have got through it. So really, really beautiful. Um, Amun, you must be so proud. Yeah, yeah. Actually, as you said, yeah, I'm, I'm quite. I mean, though my struggle, I would say, is not a unique in in the sense that I recall the memories of my friends who we were, we were in the school at uh, secondary school, and when I joined the university at that time, we were not allowed to join universities because of the Israelis' rules and cutting the cities so i managed to get i was lucky to get a scholarship to study computer i recall when i contacted my school colleagues i i wouldn't imagine that i have friends in almost every single country of the world some of them came here australia some of them to the uk to the us some studied in bulgaria in spain in brazil in algeria in uh, all Gulf regions, some of them just uh, started working after the high school. Uh, it, actually, I recall that it's like a bomb that came into our classroom and scattered us all over the place. Some of them, I can't get in touch with them, but many of them, really, I lost the connection. I struggled. At that time, there was no internet, no social media. So by accident, maybe I met few of them, but most of them, I just lost track of them and they lost track of me. But I am trying always on the Facebook, on any social media, or any common friend to put us in touch with those old friends. This is from the friend side. However, from our land, that's another thing actually. Uh, though we have a small land in, in Palestine, we struggle to maintain that land. We have olive trees and also we used to have uh, the citric trees, what we call it bayara in, in Arabic. So with those citric trees, uh, the Israeli troops took control over the whole water resources. And they started raising the uh, prices of water because we need to water the trees, gradually raising it, raising it, 
till we came to the point that it's not break, we are breaking even and we were happy as long as we're not losing. Then the years after, we used to pay like every year $1,000, $2,000, starting getting to $5,000 extra on top of the what we get from the, the land just to maintain the trees. We ended up, we could not afford it anymore because we have our financial commitments. I have my to support my family. I have to support my, as Yusuf mentioned, my youngest brother, one of them went to study in India. And my sister went to study in Ramallah at that time. So we got no option but to support the family. So we just let the Bayar or the Citric field go and it has been just cut off. I mean, this is one of the, I would say, touchy items that we could not do anything in that regards. You know, often people don't realize just how brutally barbaric occupation is. We're in a state of relative calm at the moment because the operation that finished in Jenin a couple of weeks ago. But occupation, Israel's occupation, it's violent. All of it is violent. To steal land is violent. To steal water is violent. To deny movement is is violent. To deny freedom is violent. To imprison people is violent. So when people talk about relative calm, Palestinians who live under Israeli occupation, it is violence every day. That's for Palestinians that live within historic Palestine. One of the great things about the world is increasingly their understanding the apartheid regime and Amnesty International's report speaks about apartheid, how it impacts every Palestinian. Apartheid isn't just inside Palestine. Apartheid is Mamun's three of his children and his wife don't have Hawiz. What is supposed to be Palestine, a Palestinian ID, should not be denied by the State of Israel. This is just another layer of control and violence that's perpetuated on us every day. Yusuf, we're going to go into a break now, but you've queued up one of your father's favorite songs. Do you want to introduce the song? So this is one of the uh, traditional songs, more uh, traditional in a way that it's almost a classic. Well, yes, Safi is a very famous, obviously, um, Arabic uh, artist. And the song is about the return, the, the basically the, our hope, our struggle, uh, our really uh, wish, uh, you can say, to return. Oh, <laughs> 
نشفت دموعي 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 ايه نشفت دموعي دموعي
Tell us what that song means to you, Wadi Asafi. It's a matter of recalling the the past, all the happiness, all the simplicity of life. Because as I told you, we are living in the country where almost everyone knows everyone in the village. So our small village of a few thousand people, whenever there is any occasion, good or if there is like a, a death or a marriage or even we were used to celebrate those who finished the high school, not even university, because it was quite rare at, that, at our time. Just imagine that, for instance, our, our village doesn't have at that time a, uni, a second, uh, secondary school. So we have to walk to another neighboring village called Atil. So we walk like uh, one hour to school and one hour back. We can take the bus, but at that time, the, the bus would cost us a shilling, which is almost a quarter of a dollar, but that's, that was too much for us. So we used to, we want to save it, and instead we used to wait for one hour. That's, I mean, that's, but anyway, in spite of that, we used to enjoy the social network. That was the main uh, mark in our village. So whenever there is any occasion for any, even in the harvesting the the wheat, harvesting the olive, harvesting the uh, almonds, normally people or the whole neighborhood, we all go to support each other. So today we are supporting Nasser, the whole group will go to support Nasser. Next day supporting Mahmoud, so the whole group will go and support him to give him more um, support. And it's like a mental support by the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And that's tightened the relations between the people, and they started holding each other. 
So that's why, for instance, I recall none in the in the village at that time was I would classify him as rich. But when my eldest son finished his high school, he joined university in Jordan. The second one, we could not afford to send him the money to support him. So our neighbors jumped in. They said, no, he should join university. And they started supporting, give us, of course, we got a loan. We recorded all the loans and we paid them in return when their son finishes high school. That's how we started dealing with the circumstances at that time. So the social network, that's what we really miss from that era. Yeah, with the song says, Allah inshallah, such, such a thing would get back again. Inshallah, inshallah. And this is one of the beautiful things, you know, the the, the community, that social network, you know, very much socialism. This is what, what the world is supposed to be. You know, if I have one loaf of bread and Ma'mun has no loaf, we both have half a loaf. This is this is Palestine. This is our, our greatest humanity. So I just want to, I guess, touch on the last point that Dad mentioned about the social life and the occupation. Like, if you think of my dad's story, uh, in a way, I've heard it from him firsthand for many years, and I've heard very similar stories. Um, but my first trip to Palestine a few years ago was mind-boggling. Like, I was actually shocked by the amount of, like, injustice and occupation. And I don't think the audience, like what you said about occupation being brutal, I don't think the audience actually understands how brutal it is when you're, like, day-to-day, you know, I remember we, we had to take a trip from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, which ended up being, like, four hours, where it's, like, 15, 20 minutes for Israeli settlers. I don't think people understand when you're living day-to-day like that, how tough and, like, you know, very hard life is for Palestinians. So even for me as a Palestinian who basically heard all these stories and heard my dad, so that was like eye-opening. What struck you the most about the Palestinians that are there? Because you didn't grow up there, Yusuf, so you didn't grow up under occupation, only grew up on the stories of. What struck you most? What struck me most is the scale of injustice. It really did. Like, because we know it's hard life. We know there's occupation. We hear about it. We hear in the news someone gets shot or arrested or killed here and there. But when you're actually there, you're dealing with real people who are trying to make real careers. They're trying to live day by day. They're trying to visit their loved ones in the hospital. They're trying to make the ends meet. And they have to go through it on every, like on a daily basis. And in, my, in our trip, obviously, you said about like the Palestinians differing and AAA Palestinians. Like, obviously, I'm privileged because I have the Australian passport. So in my trip, we got to see the other side of it. And we went like to Jerusalem and we went to uh, Tel Aviv and Yaf and Haif and these places. And you, you just can't help but to think, how do these places exist next to each other under the same system, yet treated so differently that it might as well be a completely different world? Like, we go to Yaffa and Haifa, like the modern side of like what's called now Israel, and you're like, it's impossible for this to coexist with the reality of Palestinians literally just 20 kilometers away in the border or 30 kilometers. And I think once I, we, you know, we as a delegation got to see the whole picture obviously we're not allowed in Gaza and that's a different story but we got to see like a big side of Palestine uh, in Jerusalem in West Bank in all of these cities and villages and you you really question how I guess we as collective society or as humanity have allowed such a thing to continue in the modern world it's not something like you hear about in the news or it was history or you know like World War II or these camps you like obviously now we know it's horrible and we know it should not have happened but we're witnessing this reality, like Palestinians in Palestine are witnessing this every day. So 
it was just really surprising and eye-opening for me, someone who's like absorbed most of my dad's teachings and struggle. When I saw it firsthand in Palestine, like I was just mind-boggled that something like this could still exist. Um, so for obviously for the audience and for everyone, yes, you hear stories, you deal with Palestinians, you can relate. But once you visit there, even once, you will be just shocked at the scale of injustice by how people are treated. Uh, you know, I've got so many examples, like someone who got or someone who got shot and someone who couldn't continue university and so on. But really just experiencing firsthand, while for me it was only like two weeks, just imagine that's going to be your life forever. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's something that most people can't really grasp because, you know, thankfully when Australia and most of the audience in like Western countries, you you just have a good life and you can't relate to someone who's living that on a daily basis. So that's why it's really important to not only have those conversations for those like who can and have the means to do a trip. Like it's really eye opening, life changing in terms of your perspective and how you see things and how you see the conflict overall, as opposed to just two people fighting, you actually understand the brutality of occupation. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was my eye-opening trip. And that's after that trip a few years ago, that's when I started becoming slightly more active. I'm like, no, people need to hear that story. People need to know what is exactly happening in Palestine. Not just because I'm Palestinian, because it's just inhumane. Like it shouldn't be the way it is right now. Um, so yeah, that was, that was the part about occupation that you said people don't understand how brutal occupation is and they really don't until they sort of witness some of it um, firsthand. So Yusuf, you were born in Jordan, you're raised in the Arab world, uh, you're here now in the West. What was the difference when you crossed into Palestine? Was it different for you? I mean, you're still in the Arab world. Tell us about what you felt. Uh, it was different in a good and bad way, right? Because for typical Palestinian, having lived in different countries in the Middle East and having come to Australia, that sense of belonging, I wouldn't say was never there, but I don't really belong to a place more than I, like now I belong to Australia because that's where I lived most of my life for now. But before that, like prior to that 15 years ago, 10 years ago, when I went to Palestine, I never really had that sense of belonging. So crossing the border to Palestine and then seeing how the welcoming is from the Palestinians, people who've never met us, just the fact that we're Palestinians returning to our land, Seeing that firsthand, that was a very unique feeling and very special feeling. And then a few days later, when you cross the border to go to Yafa and Haifa and seeing the other side of the story, this, this, like the side that's promoted as like the, the heaven and democracy in Middle East, that was just, you know, there is a conflict in my mind. It's like, how can, how can people sell this version? Like, how can you justify living in this very comfortable life while your human neighbor, let alone politics and religion, uh, is living a substantially more difficult life on a daily basis. Uh, so there was, there were those thoughts where like, this is really hard to grasp. It's really hard to grasp how these two stories coexist or like are not being promoted or not being, I guess, talked about often. So for me as a Palestinian, the sense was a great sense of belonging because first time to my land, um, but it was also a conflict with myself. Is like, how, how did we not only allow this, how did we not, know about this us being palestinians the people who are actually supposed to promote the struggle and the virgin and like all the stuff that we're um we're all about in activism so for me the only time i've ever felt like i belonged was there didn't matter where i've been in the world absolutely absolutely so that was a very unique feeling like the sense of belonging when i as i said when i crossed the border when we had like a delegation people were coming us 
I didn't feel that anywhere else. Like that, that feeling is just so unique and it's hard to explain because I've only felt it there. Like no matter where I went, even like today when I'm traveling and they say, where are you from? I say I'm Palestinian in Australia, right? Or I say Australian from Palestinian background. Like Palestine has to be there, right? Even though I've never lived in Palestine, all I spent there was 10 days, but it's that sense of belonging that just, it's hard to explain for someone who didn't experience it. And um, yeah, definitely, I guess those emotions were highlighted like when we were in Palestine. Um, yeah, a, a unique sense of belonging like no other, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Mamoun and Yusuf Shadid, an amazing Palestinian family. Mamoun, congratulations to you and very best of luck in your PhD and thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Nasser, and thank you for letting us, uh, giving us this chance to explore some of the Palestinian lives, I would say, but as I, again, I say that many of my colleagues at that time, they are scattered all over the place in the world and have similar stories and similar suffering. And most of them, they have similar successes, I would say, by those whom I get in touch lately. Thanks again, Nasser, for giving us this all chance. Thank you, Mamoun, and thank you so much too, Yusuf. Thanks, Nasser, for having us. It's been a pleasure. A pleasure. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, share the podcast, and remember, there's never been a better time for a free Palestine.